everybody. This is Andrew McClendon, the founder of Ideal Project Group, and thanks for joining us on uh, my third interview with somebody uh, for the What Can a Project Manager Learn from X uh, podcast. So in this episode, I interview uh, Dale Levitsky, who is a, uh, an executive chef in Chicago at a restaurant called Sprout Restaurant. Uh, he's most well known for his appearance on uh, the Top Chef TV show on Bravo. And we got into some great conversation about, you know, the kind of things that he goes through when um, creating a dish for people to uh, to enjoy in his restaurant. The difference between creating something in his restaurant and creating something on uh, the Top Chef show, uh, as well as you know, sort of the things involved with running a restaurant and kind of getting into a little bit of the business um, and management side of things as well. So it's a great interview. I uh, really appreciate Dale joining it. Uh, joining me for it, and I uh, hope you like it as well. So thanks again for um, for listening. Uh, and at the end of the episode, like I normally do, I'll just do a quick uh, three, four, five-minute wrap-up of some of the key lessons that I'll take away from it and how I think I can apply um, some of those lessons to my business. So thanks again, and I hope you enjoy the episode. everybody, this is Andrew Wicklander, the founder of Ideal Project Group, and I am sitting here with Dale Levitsky for my latest episode of um, What Can a Project Manager Learn from X. Dale is a chef at Sprout Restaurant in Chicago. He's also worked at Blackbird, uh, Latash, Delice, a number of other places, um, Trio in Evanston, um, and basically he makes and creates awesome food. And so the uh, interview that I'll be doing today is what can a project manager learn from a chef? So, Dale, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. No problem. So uh, I should also throw a little disclaimer out there that Dale <laughs> and I are, like, pretty good friends. We were on the diving team in college together at the University of Iowa. We've gotten into a lot of... Uh, Shenanigans. Yes, exactly. And, yeah. uh, and we're drinking right now. So Which makes for a better podcast. Yeah, Absolutely. Always. <laughs> I haven't seen each other in a couple years, so it's kind of like catch-up time. Right. And I think I'm going to have to turn the explicit uh, switch on my feed burner feed. Yeah, I get bleeped out a lot. <laughs> well, no, there's no bleeping. It's the fucking internet. We can. No. Yeah. You know, I was one of the most censored people on Bravo before um, <laughs> other seasons of Top Chef aired, so I was like one of the most censored people. It's like 300. It's like they have to pay for each bleep from the um, from the. The TV people, so they were really not happy. I cost Bravo a lot of money. They didn't pay me shit, so I figured Yeah, well, that's what they get for... Uh, yeah, there for, we go. That's what as, you get for... As many F-bombs as I can drop on Bravo, the more I can get redemption for not being paid. <laughs> so, so, what we're going to talk about today is um, basically sort of two general themes, I think, that would be good for us to talk about. So one is just sort of the, the sort of things that you go through when you're creating a dish. Um, and then the other being uh, just getting some of your, you know, your perspective and experience on running a kitchen and running a restaurant and sort of the more business mm-hmm. aspect side of things. So why don't we go ahead and um, start with 
um, you know, like when you're creating a new dish, the, the things that you're thinking about and just what happens from it being an idea or even how that idea starts to it being a finished, you know, thing that you're actually I think, selling I think, in your restaurant. Yeah, I mean, cre- like creative process, I think, is, is such a unique and individual type thing that um, every, every person creates differently, their styles develop differently, and I think... Um, for myself and how I'm, um, I guess, kind of roping my, my staff in here at Sprout, um, they all have to get used to my process and the way that I do things, and it's really backwards compared to traditional kitchens. And it's very, very frustrating for classically trained cooks um, to be with me for the, at least like the first month, and then they finally drink the Kool-Aid, and then they kind of get on board with it, because I have to break them. Um, so our... How is your process or your style different? I'm. Um, they basically call me the tornado um, in the kitchen. So like, we'll have. I'll be like, so I I found this ingredient. I really like it. What can we do with it? And I make. And I force anyone from my lowest level cook to my sous chef. Everyone. Okay. Everyone just throw other ingredients or throw other dishes at me. What What have you done with this before? So, we just, so I just like everything up in the air and I'll just pick and she's like wait that sounds great and so then we'll start to connect ingredients or flavors or um, a classic dish I love I love reinventing classics so it's like we, if we can put a new spin on a classic that's great so we kind of powwow and come up with like two or three different ideas and just kind of really flow with it and see where it takes us and it's a very quick process it takes it'll take when we're in really into it it takes less than an hour to really kind of get where we're going to go with it. Usually usually about 15 minutes. So you're starting with like a specific ingredient then? Yeah. You I'm say, like, what, so can we, what can we do like with this? One of the things that would be like, um, the way it happened most recently was I come in and it was like Thursday and we had to have our Valentine's Day special dessert like by Saturday or actually by Friday. And I'm like, fuck, <laughs> we don't have a dessert? So I'm like, what do we do? And um, so Blair, Sarah, and I were sitting at the bar and... Um, it originally came out of a moose or a, a cannoli, like the, something that, because we're so busy, something that's quick and easy. So we thought about process first. So in a, um, instead of when Valentine's Day, quite honestly, is like amateur night, so we didn't have to be like you know really overly impressive with what we wanted to do. So it's like let's just put some good shit on a plate and uh, not, <laughs> not try and date ourselves because the people that are going to come in are, are not to insult anyone, but less savvy diners. And, but so we want to pull it and make a dish that is going to please them and their palates more so than like the fine dining type adventure adventure diner. Sure. Okay. So we have to make something much more user friendly. So it started off as like this cannoli thing, and then like like what do we have in the house? We're like, well, we have a shit ton of cashews. Okay, what? Cashew mousse. So and I'm like, no, let's make homemade cashew butter. Like we made homemade peanut butter out of cashews, and. Um, then it turned into like a Napoleon, which is things that are all stacked up instead of a cannoli. Because like, we're like, wait, do we really want to spend all day frying homemade cannoli shells? And like, well, let's just make cookies out of it. So then we think about like texture and format. So like the whole process and the structure of a dish coincides with flavor. And so it's like, now how do we flavor this cookie with a cashew butter? And then I'm like, wait, banana cream pie. Who doesn't like banana cream pie? So we come up with these couple little ingredients, and then. By that time, we got on a tangent, got too drunk, so then we went home, and I come in in the morning. And um, But so by the time I they got here, I had figured out the dessert. Okay. Where it's like, so then I took, you know, I guess the only way to describe the dish is go from bottom to top. I, we made 
a, I made a chocolate sauce out of two different types of South American chocolate, but took a Moroccan spice blend called Ras El Hanout and made a caramel with that and then infused that um, that caramel into the chocolate. So I made the, this crazy spice chocolate sauce and then um, found randomly a bottle of extra virgin organic coconut oil in the basement here at the restaurant. It was just left from another chef. So made homemade peanut butter with the coconut oil and the cashews and put like a big dollop of that on the plate and then made Pizzelle cookies, which are an Italian varietal cookie, very crispy, and it's like a little waffle cookie. And infused that and put Chinese five spice in, in that cookie. But okay. and, Joy, and Joyce, one of my one of my favorite cooks, um, she she makes these crazy pizzelles. So she was making them, and I was like, wait, well, you no, know, shape it this way. So I made it almost kind of look like a taco shell, and then just made vanilla pudding, like homemade vanilla pudding, and threw bananas into it. I'm like, well, like fuck, it looks really crazy now. Let's just put some meringue on it and blowtorch the fucker like a banana, like a like a. <laughs> lemon meringue pie so it looks like this crazy crazy thing but all like once you mush it all together the flavors totally match huh. so we like we think about function and flavor and and how it's and how it's all going to be produced right along with what you have available at your, right, your right. disposal i think one thing one thing people i don't think really understand about chefs is we also have to think about how a dish is be, going to be going to be produced and its ability to be produced in within the constraints of your kitchen and your equipment and your stuff. So as a, as a chef, it's not only about creativity, it's also about um, how can a dish or a function within your kitchen. I, mean, you th- you like, I think everyone, like when you see you know, menus, it's like, oh, they can do this and this and this, but you can't. You have to think about how how is it going to fit into your kitchen in an efficient way. I mean, when you go to a restaurant, you really take for granted how many different things are coming to your table, whether it's two people or four people, all at once. We have to time it out. So we have to structure our dishes with... Um, um, we have to structure our dishes with the the way it functions in the kitchen, the way it's going to be built in a logical manner. It's not only about flavor. So you mentioned that this is different than a traditional kitchen or classically trained kitchen. So how what is <clears throat> what, what's going on in the classically trained kitchen that as you put it sort of freaks some people yeah, out like when they first a classically trained kitchen will be <clears throat> a classically trained kitchen will be very quiet. Um, very it'll have a, an extreme hierarchy. You know, every, everything completely rolls rolls downhill. Everyone knows their their place, how and where, how and when they can speak, um, that kind of stuff. Ours is an absolute like it's like if you look at them and look at us, like we're a shit show. Like <laughs> we play music way too loud. We joke around and we laugh and do all these crazy stupid things. And but we have an incredibly consistent product because one of the things, sure. the ways that I like to manage. Um, for, for me, food is love. Food is emotion. I mean, you can really taste so many different things. And in, in, for me, I can taste how, like, if a, if a cook is tense, like, if one of my cooks is feeling insecure, uh, the way a chef seasons, you can tell if they're insecure or if they're, or if they're overconfident by, by the level of salt in their dish huh. or if they're just flagrantly bad. But, um, <laughs> so, it's, but in our kitchen, um, I need the loose emotion, the fun, um, right, the, the, right. the camaraderie and the trust because that lands on the plate. And so, okay, so you believe that that atmosphere in the kitchen Abs- has a direct impact to the the, the 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 meal that you're producing and you're providing somebody. Absolutely, I, I think I think one, the way that I would place it as a chef is. Um, 
um, when you when as a as a as a non-industry person, as a nine to fiver who goes out to dinner, and I'm going to go to a four-star restaurant and have this meal, and you have it and you say it was great. Well, when how in in three days can you remember exactly what you ate? Probably not, but. You remember every single texture and flavor in, say, your grandmother's lasagna. There's such there's such a difference in that where it's like, if you put too much process and logic into your food and not enough love and personality into your food, it's not it's it'll be impressive for a minute, but you're right. but for your entire life you're gonna remember your grandmother's lasagna, right. and that's the way that I want my kitchen to cook. It's like we like I want to be like the you know, like. Those ten old biddies having, you know, rolling out ravioli, having a great time and gossiping about their husband, <laughs> you know, just <laughs> like throwing the love and emotion and their their own life experience into the food because it does land in the food. Yeah. And I think if people are, if chefs are not, are don't put any emotion in the food and they put only technique and logical flavor, that's all it's going to be. It's going to, you know, it's going to be. Just gonna, it's going to blow away very, very quickly. You'll, you'll remember it for a minute, and you'll be like, wait, I remember it was great, but I don't remember what it was. Hmm. So let's use that to sort of segue into, obviously you're probably, for most people, most well-known um, for your um, your appearance on the Top Chef um, contest. Mm-hmm. Right? So... <clears throat> Can you talk a little bit about the difference between creating a dish in your kitchen, you know, with your with the people that work for you, and then creating a dish within the constraints that you're given on that show, and I guess sort of the different things that result from it. Is there anything that um, that you benefited from from having those constraints? Just talk a little bit yeah, about, I, I guess, I that, think, that sort of um, process. One one of the things that I think we people. I guess I would like to say to people about how I, mean, I loved every minute of doing that show. It was as a life experience. It was amazing and so much fun. But it's also truly one of the most embarrassing things you can ever possibly do. <laughs> because the way that we cook in our kitchen, it takes for me to do up to make a perfect dish that I want to give to people. It takes two to three days sometimes. Like I have to make the stock overnight. You know, then I'll then I'll braise meat overnight, and then I'll reduce the sauce for like eight or ten hours to make a dish that I would want to present to the world on a TV show. It's going to take me two or three days to make that dish. And they're like, "Here's thirty bucks and twenty minutes." <laughs> Make and and then right. we're, then we're gonna verbally rape you in front of millions of people for you know making like a, like a, a, a minute mistake and it's you really have to suck up your pride in that and your and and really stand there and, and try and salvage any form of integrity that you think you might have but being on that show really teaches you a how good you are at the moment or not at the moment. And trying to be able to survive that, where it's like, can I make a dish taste good in 20 minutes with anything? And am, am I proud of the food that I made in that show? Absolutely not. I mean, I made two or three good dishes, but it, as, a, as a lesson for, as a career lesson, um, it was monumental in understanding and accepting your own faults and your constraints and where when you're put in, in the highest pressure situation you can ever possibly imagine can you survive that and that's an, an incredible career lesson sure so but you don't think that <clears throat> there was any dish that as a result of those like 
the, those constraints that you ended up producing something better than you would have been able to produce like with the the, the, the time the freedom that you had that, that, that's a good question kitchen. I think the one there is one dish that I made on the show um, that is actually on my menu a version of it is on my menu now that I completely pulled out of my ass and was a big huge risk because I in, in Aspen in the finale we were cooking in altitude which completely fucked everything up. Water doesn't boil at that time. Or, or I mean, right, water, water doesn't boil at that altitude. Right. So I'm out of my comfort zone, and they're like, make the best menu you've ever made in your life, and here's four hours. It's like, really? How about four days? Like, if you really want, if you really want to see some good shit, give me four days. So no, four hours, fine. Um, I was... You know, I just saw one thing out of the corner of my eye, and it was some tubs of duck fat. And I remember when I was at Blackbird in like 2000, we would sear some meat on the grill and then finish it in duck fat, and do like. And so I was like, bingo, because up here it'll be the perfect temperature. So, and I took all these racks of lamb and brought this duck fat up to a, a boil, and seared the meat, threw it in there, and prayed. <laughs> I was like, I think because of production time and all that, because now we're, we're doing a menu where it's like, I think I have 45 minutes. I don't know. Maybe production will stop. You don't know if they're, they're going to stop you or do what. So I just dumped meat in this duck fat and prayed for the best. And CJ on the and show. And that was one of your and, like most complimented dishes. And, and at, the end, at the end of the day, the, the dishes literally like shat themselves. Like, it was. And, I, and when I cut into the meat, CJ, the huge tall guy from our season, was my sous chef. He looked at me, and he just started laughing. Because it was like, you sliced open the meat, and it was like the sky opened up, and it was like the hand of God. It was just like the most perfectly cooked lamb, lamb, all time. And it was just like, high five. We yeah. did it, and that was my final dish of the entire season. And now it's on my menu. And so, I mean, I, I, did, I did get one thing out of that damn show. <laughs> So, so, but is it, it's uh, as a general rule, um, that much constraint did sort of have in, inhibit you. Um, I, th- I think one of the, one of the one of the lessons I learned was basically being able to pull the most out of yourself in the worst type of situation, yeah, okay. and it really takes a. Di- you can see how people would falter or get flustered, but if you can if you can stand in the eye of the tornado and really look around yourself and find and just find some logic and and find yourself within that, it, it, doing that and being able to just pull things off that were tasty in the worst possible scenario really gave me the ability to embrace the best scenario. Yeah, because it's it almost sounds to me like the way that you're describing it, it almost sounds like. You know, it's not the way that you would want to perform in a competition, but it was good practice. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I guess you know, even though it was on national television, it was really great training for, like, what like when I'm presenting things to the real world. It's funny that it's like I was on a reality show, but I want to prepare for what's actually real. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, like, what is a dish that people are actually going to come to my establishment and enjoy? And first, and it took. You know, 15 episodes of that show and my final dish to finally get it. Okay. And so let's so, and it's great that you brought up the like the establishment now. Mm-hmm. And we're in case you're hearing some background music, we're sitting in Sprout right now. It's Sprout having, after hours. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so 
talk a little bit about, you know, now we've gone through a little bit of the creative process that you go through and how a dish, you know, goes from, you know, sort of an idea into reality. Um, So now you're essentially running the whole whole boat here, right? So you've got the kitchen, you've got the restaurant, there's a business aspect of things, but you are a chef. The yeah, thing that you yeah. love to do is is create food, and now you're running this restaurant. So it's just, you know, talk a little I, bit I about, think, about I think that. A, um, a lot of it is, a, I mean, luckily, and be careful what you wish for situation. It's like this, I have in my hands pretty much what every chef wishes. You know, I have a, basically like a 40-seat restaurant that I'm now... Um, as pretty much as of yesterday, um, the official overall general manager with permission of the owner. So I'm running all operations as well as the kitchen. And it is it, it is a, a complete life lesson to, you know, be a chef. And, and I think people would think that being a chef, it's your, your life in the, in the restaurant is all about the food. But it actually becomes, the, the higher you get, the less your hands are in the food. And that's very, a very difficult place to be. But when you are the executive chef and running a restaurant, the only way that the food that you help create is going to be presented and achieved successfully is by being able to manage everything and you know be with your servers, be with your bartenders, be with your cooks, your office staff, even your dishwashers. I mean, we were just walking to the kitchen. I was like, dude, change your mop. You know, like by having every by having eight eyes in your head and. Really, and also try and concentrate on your food. It is extremely overwhelming, but also the most proud moment of your life that you can really have is that you this the the sign in the front. You know, it says Sprout, but it's being the one person that it, it's tr- it, to feel like I have true ownership of everything that is in this restaurant now is a very humbling and awesome feeling. So, what are the things that you do to make sure that your hands are still in the food enough? Right, because I'm assuming you're, you're not you're not only managing the restaurant. Right, I think I think um, one of the things that, that does bother me, and I don't know, maybe someone will kind of get mad at me for saying it, but one thing that does bother me about quote unquote celebrity chefs or chefs that are, are getting bigger and bigger and bigger and have multiple restaurants, they really do not have their hands in food at all anymore. They're more educators, or um, I don't know when the last time one of their dishes were truly theirs. And I, at least at this point, maybe my life will change, but at least at this point, my, every dish on my menu is mine. I have final approval. I, you know, make sure um, everything is done in the way that I want it done, but I also make sure that everyone on my staff, especially the person producing that dish, also has their hands in that dish. Um, you know, like it's, it's a, it is a group effort, but I, I'm still going to be making that dish while it's developed or or in process on hey hey one of my if one of my cooks gets sick I want to be able to make that dish and I can guarantee a lot of celebrity chefs that have these restaurants cannot <laughs> cook half the shit on their line <laughs> and that bothers me huh. um, and but, yeah. but I think you know when, I, when I'm 50 and 60 you know I'm, I'll you know I'll hear this podcast and be like fuck you <laughs> <laughs> but I mean I still love the process of cooking and being and having my hands on the right. food. I don't think I've earned the right to develop a menu, write a menu, and walk away from it. I still have the food still has to have yeah. you know my fingerprint on it. But you had an interesting video blog post. Um, I don't know, it was a week or two ago mm-hmm. about how you uh, 
you took your sort of your signature dish, which was it? Was it the lamb dish? It was short, it was short rib. Short rib. Um, this, okay. It, it, that, and, and you talked about handing it over to yeah. to the new. Uh, I, think, know, I think part of it, as as a chef, and, and really. I guess I guess a rite of maybe it's a rite of passage for a chef or, or, or a creative person, no matter what you know the symbol would be. Um, one of my favorite dishes I've ever made, and, and it was a dish that, that made me truly feel like a chef for the first time when I finished it. Um, now I had to because it's not on the station that I work at night. I had to hand it off and teach a 20-year-old fresh out of culinary school kid to teach this dish and and give it the heart and the integrity that. I have, and that, or that, and that, that I want it, to, or I want that dish to have, and it's, you know, you kind of want to take it back for a minute, you know, you're like, well, no, <laughs> maybe, oh, here, and but it's also a rite of passage for him at the same time, sure. and as a chef, it's by giving, by giving your dishes and your heart to the younger people. That's how, that's how dishes are passed on through through the ages, I guess, and it's having that, having really have that smack me in the face for the first time that this was one of my best dishes I've ever made and giving it as a gift to a 20 year old it was, it was a little bittersweet but also an extremely proud moment that now I'm the person that I always that when I was 20 and cooking there was a 36 year old chef that would give me a dish and I'm like how the hell did he do it and now that you know, we were just talking outside <laughs> like all of a sudden we're all grown up and it's like <laughs> It's it's a very ish, ish, ish. Almost, yeah. <laughs> we still haven't hit the forty, but I guess tr- like like being the person that's truly passing things off now, and, yeah. and being at other positions, like you know, when you're when you're twenty at a bar and someone thirty five is like, God, those people are old. What are they doing here? It's like no, it's like now I'm the old guy passing it off, and it's it's you definitely have to change your mind frame on it, and it, it is a very very proud moment. But the thing that I'm hearing a little bit when you talk about this is that being being a chef and even even forgetting about the managing of the restaurant and the front of house and all that kind of stuff is by its definition more than just creating the food that that teaching the people that work under you how to oh, yeah. create be, food be, is being, equally uh, as much part of being a chef be, being a, being an executive chef is i mean you 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 cook maybe 20% of the time maybe um, if you're lucky, it's more about overall management. You know, it's really checking ev- everyone's work. You know, every single thing, anything from you know, if there's toilet paper in the bathroom to whether your mop stinks or if your thing, if your produce is rotated correctly, or if you know you burnt your fucking grilled cheese sandwich. You know, you're always you're always just walking around feeling like a douchebag because you're telling people what to do. <laughs> And you're not cooking anymore, and it's really frustrating. It's like I come, I come in an hour or two before everyone gets here, just so I can cook something. Because the rest of the time, I have to have my hand in what everyone else is doing, and and kind of, and I just have to be the asshole all day long. It is fun, especially when you're angry, but <laughs> but it is it is fairly overwhelming and exhausting and sometimes you feel guilty I mean with this having a 20 year old kid that I have to slap on the wrist every single day until he gets it you know it does you know it does kind of hurt yeah kind of ish it sort of feels good too right? <laughs> but it feels really good at the same time <laughs> alright so the I, I, you know we'll, we'll, we'll start wrapping up here um, a little bit but as I was explaining before we, we started recording everything that you know the idea behind the, this podcast that I started is, it, you know, I'm an IT project manager, um, 
and so it's it, you know I'm just trying to learn um, you know from other people and, and as I mentioned it's just like it's an excuse to talk to people that are doing, <laughs> that are doing cool things right right um, but you know it's so I feel like my profession is sort of changing a lot um, with sort of some of the tools that are available for people to coordinate with with each other right. um, you know in the world of like software development or web development I you would be like the equivalent of like a really great software developer right in the you know but obviously with food in your kitchen right right um, so and, and please like don't hold back when I ask you mm-hmm. this I mean this with all sincerity like right. in when you look in your restaurant and in your kitchen, is there even a place for like the equivalent of you know like what I do professionally with um, like software developers and database administrators and that kind of stuff? Or is you know would would somebody that helped you run things just really make shit worse? Well, I mean, yes and no. I mean, I think. Um IT, you know, like IT, whatever. Now that the computer age in restaurants are kind of being smacked together, there's a couple different ways. Um, I did write a blog about theft. Like the most, there's millions of dollars spent in restaurants for um, point of sale systems, POS systems, um, that have so many fail. Like they try to get so many ways to for, because believe me, bitches will steal. Like, like for all the software for people to be to be accountable for everything that goes in and out of your restaurant. Like that is one like technology has really helped restaurants become more profitable by when hand handwritten tickets you can just pocket all that cash. Mm-hmm. You know, now with now with like the, the tech with technology really coming into the kitchen. That kind of software. Absolutely. Um, other, otherwise I think generally I mean, there's there's definitely multimedia restaurants are really starting to branch out into different forms of multimedia, and I'm being kicking, I'm like being dragged into it, kicking and streaming. <laughs> like you know me from college, and I'm like a caveman and a typewriter. <laughs> and but now like by writing blogs and doing video stuff, really being able to, I think it's we're on the, we're on we're really opening the door to how restaurants and people like myself who are we we're, we come from a craft that is hundreds and hundreds of years old. Now we can actually open ourselves up through technology into right. connecting with our guests in a truly different way that has not been explored yet and I think um, at Sprout we're about to really start to do that. So, and that's awesome right, but if I'm an IT project manager that works with like developers and database administrators, mm-hmm. designers and that kind of stuff, right? I mean, the reaction that you would have if somebody said like, here's a food project manager <laughs> My, my 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 initial reaction would be like if you're a consultant and want to help us out in doing this is follow me don't tell me what to do follow me and figure out how I'm doing what I'm doing and why process that and then try and fix it and okay. you're probably going to be wrong anyway <laughs> awesome <laughs> but you know but I'm, I'm, a, I'm always a huge proponent of another set of eyes, an objective set of eyes, an uneducated set of eyes can actually really help out with um, giving you an incredible grasp of the obvious, sure. which sometimes really goes away when you're so inundated and heads down in what you're doing. An, un- an uneducated eye will be like, well, what's that thing over there? What? Are, that's what I forgot. <laughs> So like sometimes, sometimes like fresh, uneducated eyes really can put things into perspective, right? 
So I think no, no, it's good. It's, it's, it's great. I mean, this is. But again, this is. Um, but I think you know, having, this is having, this having, is the reason having, why I'm having yeah, these conversations. Well, having, having been a consultant and having worked with consultants, um, consultants. Um, or, the, or like you know, people are going to try and help things, make things more efficient, or manage projects. Um, really, my one piece of advice or want in that would be to truly understand and respect the the goal and creative process of what is going on. What is the ultimate mission of the business? When I mean, some some people do, and some people don't. Some people just want to like, I'm going to make them more efficient this way. Well, if you understand what the the goal and process is of the entire place and that will really change the way just because it worked in one place doesn't mean that your skeleton is going to work in another right. so you have to really reevaluate how you're going to do it and make and pull the best out of what the, I mean if you're a project manager and you're going to help or a consultant you're walking into a shit show anyway and you have to really make take away their skeleton put in a new one but every, your, your standard might not work think about what is going to work for them as individuals. Yeah. So I think the last um, the last thing that we'll close on is so as you know I you know I have a very small business myself and one employee and I just I I really love talking to small businesses um, people that you know had an idea and started something and made it real. Um, and you've had a you know fairly public sort of uh, I guess discussion about mm-hmm. Um, sort of, as you call it, going into hibernation <laughs> right. after after Top Chef, and then in coming out. And I think that there's, you know, I think a lot of people struggle with that in different ways. Whether it's, you know, me being willing to, you know, publish a podcast, or somebody who's writing a book, or somebody who's creating a website, or whatever the case may be. Um, you know, but you also have, you know, you've sort of seen, I don't want to, I don't know if calling it the dark side is too dramatic, no. but, you know, and then you, you've come out of it, now you're in this, you're this great restaurant. So just what are the things that you would tell people who are, you know, who want to do something but are holding back, or people who are in a tough spot, um, you know, what, just yeah. what, what kind of things would you say to people? I guess in, in that point, the greatest lessons you'll learn in order to be successful are those you get from failure. Failure is more important than success in order to be ultimately successful. And it sounds fucked up, but the only way, like one of the, I guess, the ways that I've dealt with my career is if I've had a setback or I feel a personal failure, I come back with a vengeance and I learn my lesson and it's better. Now having sprout, I'm after I'm coming off of a two and a half year lull of self hatred, and you know my my mother passed away and all this stuff. So I pretty much my life, entire life fell apart, and I would not be as good at what I am doing today without that. And just by being able to process those self self perceived failures into using them as tools to make yourself go further, if you you won't be good if you don't know your own limits. And, and and by knowing your own limits and getting mad at them, you'll be able to surpass them. All right. Great. So Dale also writes on the blog uh, Sprout Crowd. Sprout right? Crowd is our link on um, Sprout 
Restaurant.com. Yep. And the restaurant is located at 1400, is it? Four, 1417 West Fullerton in right. Chicago. Yes. And your blog now is one of the most read food blogs in the city, if I understand. Yeah, I, I guess our, our, our blog people that are managing it, um, <laughs> the people that are managing it at BBC, they're really great. They do a lot of really wonderful things. They man, they'll help, they're helping, like, manage, like, you know, you know, Twitter and, you know, Facebook and the Internet and all that like web space <laughs> stuff that I'm, I'm a chef because I have donkey hands and can't work that thing um, but you know they're helping me use it as a tool and kind of get our voice out there but our, our blog at Sprout that Sarah and Sarah is also writing some that it's going um, it's going very well and I think um, the industry is really starting to pay attention and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say some, some things that need to be said that a lot of people don't want me to say and I love it awesome well, I will certainly uh, continue to be subscribing to it. If you're listening to this podcast and you aren't, you should also be subscribing to it. And Dale, seriously, thanks thanks a lot for no joining us on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Time for shots. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, everybody. Uh, hey, everyone. This is Andrew again. And I'm going to just take a, uh, a, couple of, uh, a couple of moments to... You know, talk about some of the key things that I'm going to take away from uh, the interview that I had with Dale. I think it was probably pretty self-evident that, um, you know, that we were having a pretty good time and that I really enjoyed talking to him. Uh, and he's really a great guy. I've known him for a long time, and I'm really appreciative that he sat down with me. And um, So, uh, you know, one of the things that, that really stuck out to me is how he talked about creativity being like an individual process and how like the atmosphere of his kitchen, you know, had a direct impact on, you know, a dish that he was creating. And I love the, like the analogy that he used of, you know, how you remember your grandmother's lasagna, every detail, every texture of it. And I just think it's really important for us to think about that from, you know, just from a general business standpoint that, you know, like the environment's, that we're working in and the environments that we're creating, um, whether it's for employees or projects we're working on or whatever it is, you know, that they have a like real direct and tangible impact on whatever it is that we're producing. Um, you know, and I think that the way that he talked about it and the way that he put it was just, just kind of really hit home for me. Um, you know, I also liked, you know, how he talked about the difference in, um, creating a dish when he was on Top Chef versus creating a dish in his kitchen and how making stuff on Top Chef sort of allowed him to realize um, sort of some of the luxuries that he has in his own kitchen. Um, I thought that was, you know, was, was, was really interesting. And, you know, another, a um, couple more points. Another one is he talked about how, um, um, like being creative in the process that you go through that. And it made me realize that like, you know, no matter what we're doing, whether we're, you know, whether you're a project manager or you're someone that works um, in sales or whatever it is that we're doing, you know, we all need to be creative. I don't think it's, it's, it's enough anymore to be somebody who only helps somebody else's like implement somebody else's solution or idea or whatever. Um, and this is really interesting to me specifically as it relates to project management because um, I've been thinking a lot lately about how, 
like I think both out of just the reality of where the world is today with some of the tools that we have available, um, along with just economic necessity, that the roles of, of project management and, prod, and product ownership, I think that those are, are merging together, and I think they're going to continue to merge to the point where in a lot of organizations, I don't think there's going to be a segregation between people that own a product and people that, like, you know, own the execution and implementation of that of that product. So, um, so that was really interesting to me. And in the way that he talked about, like when I asked him how he would react if, if uh, you know, somebody told him that he was going to have like a food project manager join him in the kitchen. And the reason that I, you know, he, he, he talked about how like a fresh set of eyes can be really helpful, how it can sort of help point out, um, I guess, the obvious to people who have been in a situation for too long. But the main thing that I took away from it is that he clearly like outlined certain things that, you know, a, a, a project manager could certainly help within their um, restaurant, but that it was something that they had to be experts in themselves and that they had to know things about and that they had to be able to help implement solutions for. Um, and when we're walking into an environment where other people are truly the experts, we have to like, really take a lot of time to understand, you know, their perspective on things and what they're doing and what they're creating and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I think the last thing I'll just talk about is when Dale talked about how he really believes that you know, he wouldn't be where he is today without some of the failures that he went through. And this was like a fascinating thing for me because anybody that reads my blog knows that I'm a huge fan of, um, the Basecamp collaboration software and 37 Signals and all the stuff that those guys are doing. And one of the things that um, that Jason Fried talks a lot about, who's the CEO of 37 Signals, is that you know he he says that we learn more from success than failure. And you know, but then I have an interview with Dale, who I like have a tremendous amount of respect for, and I think his reality is a true and real reality for him that he you know, is a better chef now than he would otherwise be if it wouldn't have been for some of the challenges that he went through. And so for me, I think the lesson that I, the only lesson that I can take from this and when I process all these sort of like different pieces of information sometimes that conflict with each other is that I think at the end of the day, we need to be creative. We need to make stuff. We need to execute as best as we can and then not really care about whether or not there's a perception of success or failure. Because, you know, as I wrote about in a blog post a little while back, like, you know, who really gets to define success for somebody um, anyway? And, you know, I think being creative, executing on something, making something, um, and delivering it to the world, um, you know, I think if we err on the side of doing that, then that's almost like by its definition um, going to be a success. So anyway, I'm really appreciative again of uh, Dale sitting down with me and talking uh, to me. And I hope that, uh, that you enjoyed the podcast and I'm going to continue to bring, um, you know, more interviews with people that are doing like really great things uh, so that we can learn as much as we can from them. So thanks again. I appreciate you listening and I will talk to you guys later.